we also, I'm sure this has already been done uh, by Jim, but we are also grateful to see new faces as well, as we miss those that we normally know. It is good to see new faces, new faces. So you are very welcome, and thank you for coming amongst us this morning. My study for this morning, uh, what we're going to talk about, uh, we're continuing the studies of uh, Romans, and my portion is in chapter 13 of the book of Romans, uh, just a, the second half of the chapter, uh, beginning from verse 8 of the chapter, Romans chapter, chapter 8, verses 13 to the end. So I'm going to read from my Bible. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is fast spent, the day is at hand, let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fill the last thereof. And as always, we trust that the Lord will bless the public reading of his word. Our precious Lord, we are grateful, Lord, for these pages that we have in front of us, the words of life itself being given, O oh Lord, to mortal man. For that, Lord, we are grateful to enjoy it this morning and to learn of it. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The second part of the chapter is a continuation of the first uh, half, obviously, of the chapter. And I was not here last week, but uh, if you noticed, the first half of the chapter deals really with um, our responsibilities to governmental authority, so to speak. But this portion that we're going to look at uh, today, it really has got to do with our responsibilities to one another, how we as Christians, we conduct ourselves in our daily lives, lives towards each other. There are really um, two things that really are overwhelming in my, in my head that I want to talk about this morning on this portion. Verse 8 opened with very uh, weighty words. Oh, no man anything. 
I remember uh, uh, some years ago, um, I knew somebody who came to me and they said to me, dudes, I've got so much money. I don't know what to do with it. It's not always that you get people to say that to you. But if Frank confessed to me, I've got so much money, I don't know what to do with it. And I said to him, well, that's good. Buy a house. And then he went away and thought about it. And then he came back to me and he said, I can't buy a house because buying a house will mean I should get a mortgage. And getting a mortgage means that I will be in debt, which is true. That's what a mortgage is. But I don't think this is what this verse is talking about. Well, I, I, I reasoned with him because he was actually basing on this particular verse. His argument was basing on this particular verse. Oh, no man, anything. So, well, I talked, I talked to him in the end, he bought the house, anyway. But I don't think this is what this verse is talking about. This is not talking about um, do not owe anything at any time. Right? There is, in our modern life that we live, there are everyday experiences, right, that we go through life where you would incur some kind of debt. Right? If you've got a phone contract, for example, you will incur a debt as you use your phone before you pay it at the end of the month. Okay? Your gas bill that you are using in your house, you are going to incur a debt up to the end of the month, and then your direct debit comes, and then you clear it. Okay, so this is everyday life will incur some form of debt and then pay it back. But what this verse is talking about, really, is pay your bills on time. Pay what you owe on time. Don't be in areas. Just that half sentence of scripture would eliminate a whole host of ills in our society. Some of the homelessness that we see on the streets, some of the families breaking down and marriages falling apart because of debt. Some of the habits that have taken people to places they wouldn't otherwise wouldn't want to be and have become shackled because of debt. The admonition to a Christian, a life of responsibility, is that we owe no man anything. There is indeed a time when there is legitimate debt that you can incur, as we just explained earlier on. But what scripture here is teaching is responsibility, stewardship over what God has given us whilst we're still here. What do you have that you have not been given? Scripture tells us. Everything that we have, we have been given. So, for a Christian believer, for people that are in the world, 
when you get a job and you get a salary, it is your money. It is your salary. It is for you to spend it upon yourself. It is all about you. Whatever you, inquire, you, you acquire to yourself, the accumulation of all the wealth that you gather, it's all to you because it is about you. That is not how Christians look at life. That is not our way of looking at things. For Christians, once we become aware of the fact that we are actually in someone's world, this is God's world. We are in his we are guests, so to speak, in his world. The things that he gives us, we are only entrusted because we are his stewards who are looking after his things. The salary that you earn, the marriage that you have, the family that you have, your relationships that you enjoy, they are all given unto us by God to look after them. So when it comes to issues of money, what is our attitude as Christians? How do we ought to run our funds? We are all different. We have got different backgrounds. We've got different, different characteristics. We've got different histories and all that. All those things will position us to be in a particular area where you are in your life. And in your life, God will give you what is fit for you in your particular circumstances. So, in your circumstances with the finances that you have got, what is scripture teaching us on this particular verse is we should be sober-minded to be able to examine ourselves with the resources that we have got, work diligently with these, with these resources, being responsible for them, not to bring about ruin because they are God's resources after all. I remember when the Lord gave me a house. Anybody who has purchased a house probably identify with this. You're absolutely penniless by the time you get a house. You're absolutely penniless. And I had credit cards which had good balances which I could have easily have dipped into. And I spent, I think, the first three, four months changing my clothes, hiding behind the door in my bedroom. Why? I didn't have curtains. Because when I budgeted, I put myself a ceiling to say, I will spend this much and no more. Now, the temptation was very big for me. I could have gone into, into my credit card and and could have bought a lot of other things that I wanted. But I had to force myself, I had to discipline myself because I was aware of the fact that God has given me this house not to ruin, my, to ruin me, but he is giving me a house so that I can have a place to live in and look after whatever God gives me thereafter. So what do we learn? We are not wanton spenders as believers. We are not careless spenders of God's resources as believers. We are a sober, responsible people that should be in good standing, not only in our moral conduct in society, 
but also in our financial status. Now, by financial status, I don't mean we should be having millions and millions in our bank account, but it should be that it cannot be that we can be spoken of or counted amongst people that are unable to pay their own bills. Now, it is true that sometimes, even with diligent stewardship, as Christians, we can fall upon hard times. And it might be that a brother or a sister has fallen upon times that mean that for that season, they may not be able maybe to meet their bills. We're not talking about exceptional circumstances. But then if that is the case, we'll see the latter part of this sentence. That even then, we have a responsibility as Christians on how we can deal with those circumstances. So let us look at the second part. But love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Now, this word love, I think our brother Jim once spoke about this particular word love. It's not the same word that is used in chapter 12 of Romans, chapter 12, verse 10. Chapter 12, verse 10 talks about brotherly love. Now, this is the love that believers have specifically to other believers. That's brotherly love. There is an affinity that we have towards each other because we are of Christ. But this agape love is a different kind of love, is a foreign kind of love. And I'll try and explain it in a, as best as I can. This is not a fuzzy feeling that is activated by emotions within us. Because even those that are in the world, they know how to love those that love them. Okay? In the world, if someone likes you, you like them back. If they don't like you, well, you leave them alone. Right? But with the love that is spoken of here, the love that we as Christians are being told, actually it is a commandment. It's one of the few things that the Lord commanded us specifically to love one another. Why does God have... If it was natural, we won't be commanded to because it happens naturally. When you are told to do something, it's because it's something that you otherwise of your own self wouldn't do. Okay? We are not commanded to eat because we do eat. Nobody needs to tell you <laughs> what they should do when they are hungry because it's part of our nature. But what here scripture is teaching us is a different kind of love. This is a love, this is, this is not a love that is activated by virtue in a person that is being loved. This is a love that is in spite of the person that is being loved. This is a much, much different kind of love. What here scripture is teaching us is we are going to be different because we are God's people. We are going to be different. 
Scripture teaches us, the Lord taught us that in this world they are going to hate you. They are going to be hated. But if we are hated, how do we as Christians conduct ourselves in this world? Scripture then lists a couple of things. It takes a sample of things that we do to one another to make the point. To contrast to the love that is in this world. What does scripture tell us? It tells us that love is not untrustworthy. Love is loyal. But immorality is not. Love is trustworthy. Love is loyal. But immorality is not. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Love does not take another's life. But murder does. Love does not take what belongs to another person. But theft does. Love does not deny justice to others. But false witnessing does. Love does not compare itself to others to want what they have. But covetousness does. So what this tells us is we may be in a situation where you are where when you look around yourself you see different things amongst people. They may have what you don't have. They may be untrustworthy, which has benefited them, but as Christians, we are not at liberty to conduct us in that manner. Why? Let's go a little bit further. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So now you see now, this is true for amongst Christians as it is amongst non-Christians. If you would remember in Matthew chapter 5 at the Sermon of the Mount, what did the Lord say to the, to the crowds, to the masses, and to you and I? He said to them, it had, been, it, had, it had been said, thou, it had been said, love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. This is what the world would teach us. This is how it is in the world. Love thy neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say unto you, love your enemy and bless those that curse you. 
This is different for. This is practical Christian living. I think I've said this before on this platform. I know somebody back in my country who is responsible for one of my sister's death. I have never seen this person since my sister's death. And one of the things that I always wrestle in my, my prayers is how, how would I conduct myself if I came across that person? If you knew my history before I was saved, I have a very, very, very violent, there's a violence within me. I know that. God saved me from all that. I know that I, in my past life, in order for me to live, I had to stand my ground. And so I did. And I always prayed to God that I do not meet this person because I know very clearly what my conduct is expected as a Christian. But Christ says, love your enemies. How can you love somebody who is responsible for your sister's death? It's not in me. It is not natural, folks. This is why Christ, this is why the word of God commands us to do this. Because it's not natural. If it was natural, scripture would not require us to do this. This is not the love of the world. This is God-like love. Where we love those that have caused us harm. I mean, if you, if you, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, it's very radical. I mean, someone takes your coat, you, you give them another. I mean, they ask you to go, you, you go another mile extra. This is not the sort of thing that you and I do. And if we come closer, we come closer to home. The apostle in 1 Corinthians takes it a step further amongst ourselves. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Why do you not suffer loss? Why do you, he speaks to Christians and says, why do you take each other to court? And the court of the Gentiles, of non-believers. Why do you not suffer loss instead? How many times when you know you are right, would you rather give up your right when you are right, when you are being persecuted or being made wrong? It is not in us, folks. You wrong me, everything that is in me says... I need justice and revenge, basically. Natural man says that. But love doesn't. Love says, even though I know this is my right, even though I know that I am entitled to this, 
Because I love you, not because there is anything that is virtuous in you yourself so that I can love you, but because I have an alien love that is in me that I didn't have before. I am going to give up and forgo that which I'm otherwise entitled to just for the sake of you. Wouldn't it be a better world if these were the motives and the actions of mankind? The jails were empty. The courts were shut down. We would not need to lock our doors at night. But more so, why do you think the Apostle Paul had to give up his riches, his wealth and status? He had to turn his back on his pedigree. Why do you think the disciples had to scatter after the Lord left this world to go into places that they've never been before? Why is it that the ancestors of this country traversed the masses of oceans of waters and some didn't make it, perished on the way? Some perished on arrival. What motivates a person to do that? Why would a person turn his back on his family and go to some foreign land spoken by foreign countries, by foreign people that they don't even understand, people with a foreign culture that they don't even know of? Hundreds and thousands of people from this country did that. And I am the fruit of that work. That is love. These people died in foreign lands. Some of them, their graves are unmarked. They are not even footnotes in the newspapers and the magazines of today. But their love is known to God. They understood what agape love is. And I would hope that we here at Bencham, our hearts are filled with agape love. And the reason why we have a gospel meeting tonight at 4 o'clock, frankly, it's not for us. We love to hear the gospel every time because it takes us back memory, memory lane and reminds us of those days when we were saved. We love to hear that. But the gospel, the message that we preach here at 4 o'clock is because we love people that are in the world. We don't have to. Some of us have got jobs tomorrow. Some of us will sleep at midnight trying to catch up on things. But we are going to preach the gospel. Why? Because we love in our hearts a love that is not natural. We have a love that is foreign, a love that is from God, that compels us to go out 
and to preach the gospel so that people can be saved. And then, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. One of the constant themes that you maybe recognize here at Bensham is our emphasis on the point that we are going home. We are going home. Our being here, we should not be lulled by the comfort of this world. We should not be lulled by the glitter of this world. We should, take, we should not take our eyes off the ball of the fact that we are going home. We are leaving this place. Now, if this was true 2,000 years back, here this passage exhorts us to say, look, the time is spent. We are now on the 11th hour. Christ is coming. Christ is coming. I don't know how many of us believe that. I hope we all believe that. Christ is coming. As sure as Christ's first coming was foretold, he will be born of a virgin. And he was. Now we know that what scripture spoke of many years before is true because now it's in our rear view mirror. Christ has been. But scripture also says that Christ is going to come again for us. Here is a truth that you can take to the bank. You and I might die and maybe not live to see that day, but we will see it eventually, either in our time or as resurrected saints. Christ is going to come, and Christ is coming. And scripture is saying, be very diligent not to be occupied with the affairs and the things of this world. Yes, we need to have our jobs. Yes, we will need to do this and that and contribute to our society. But be, do not take your eye off the ball of the fact that you are just, just passing by. Christ is now nearer to come, now to take us home than he has ever been before. His coming is imminent. It could be this morning. And therefore, let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. We cannot be seen walking, not walking in honest. We cannot be seen rioting. We cannot be seen in drunkenness. We cannot be seen in wantonness and strife and everything. We cannot in our conduct whilst we are still here be part of this. What would Christ say to you if he comes tomorrow at 11 o'clock? What is going to find you doing? What will Christ say to you if he comes tonight? Or maybe you don't believe that he is coming or he can come tonight. It rebukes me every time. Folks, I can only speak for myself. When I go to bed and I run through my mind the things that I've been up to today, 
before I make my evening prayer, and I think to myself, what if Christ came when I was talking to my colleague at work with such strong words? What would Christ say about me if he came at that moment? Wouldn't I be embarrassed? What would Christ come and he finds you where you are not supposed to be? And yet we know where we are supposed to be. One of my best feelings, for lack of a better term, is when we are gathered in a place like this. I would love to leave this place while standing at the pulpit. Wouldn't it be amazing if Christ came right now whilst we have the emblems before us? And we can say, Christ found us worshipping him. We knew he was coming. We didn't know exactly when he was coming. But when he came, he found us worshipping him. What a way to go. What a way to go. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the last thereof. I know something about provisions because in my work, we do provisions. And recently, the auditors auditing my work, they came to my work and they said, came to me and said, Deuce, you didn't provide for stock. What they mean is, you didn't create a space in your finances for stock. There is no gap. You didn't leave a gap to put your stock figures through. There shouldn't be a gap in our lives for the flesh. When your life is being audited, the auditor, who is our Lord, should come and see and say, there is no gap for the flesh. When the Spirit of God searches in our hearts, which he does if you are saved, he will search you. I tell you this with the ex experience of more than 20 years of salvation. He will set you and he will point out the things. And Scripture says, when he does, he should find no gap for the flesh. Instead, we should be filled. There is no gap for the flesh, but we're not empty. We are filled with the Spirit. We should be bubbling over, overflowing with the Spirit. When we are filled with the Spirit, filled means complete. 
There is no gap for the flesh. One of the reasons that we triple as believers, I can only speak for myself here, is that as James so clearly articulated, we, are, we draw ourselves to wrong things. And we provide in our minds, in our hearts, the things that we should not be providing for. And then we are drawn and sucked into those things. And then we wonder why we tripped. But scripture says, be filled with the spirit. When you are filled, you have no space for anything else but the things of God. I hope these are simple things, but very weightier because one of the things about Christianity that we should really remind ourselves of is that Christianity is not being baptized and just being saved. Being a Christian, being baptized and being saved is the beginning. Real Christianity is how we who call ourselves Christians, conduct ourselves out there. Christianity is not coming to church. Coming to church is part of the things that we do as Christians. But we are not, what makes us Christians, what makes people, the world may say we're Christians because we come to church, but really what makes us Christians is how we live our lives. And we don't live our lives in church. We only come here for one hour, two hours in the morning. And then we come here on, on, on Thursday for another two hours. That's it. The rest of our time is outside there with our workmates, with our colleagues, with our wives, with our children, with our neighbors. How do we conduct ourselves there? These things that we talk about here, you will find that we, we, might, we may be different in the way that we conduct ourselves here at Bencham. And one of the reasons we try to do this is because we want, we want us as Christians to be equipped to live lives that are biblical out there in the world. You would hardly find a message of life enhancement and prosperity from the pulpit here at Bencham. And it's not that God doesn't enhance people, Christians' lives. It's not that God doesn't prosper Christians. But the problem, the problem that you and I have is not what we'll get out there. The problem is how are we going to live as true biblical Christians in this day and age that we live in? How can you love somebody that hates you? How do we live with a boss that victimizes you? How do you live at home with a spouse that is nagging? How do you conduct yourself to your children? So when we talk about these things, we're trying to be as practical as we can be so that we can take these things out of here and take them to our workplaces and our homes and live out 
the life that is Christian. So that when Christ comes, whether he finds you here, which is at your best conduct, or at home, or at work, which should still be in your best conduct, he will find you and you will not be ashamed. We want Christ, when he comes, to find us in our best. And our best begins now. Let us pray. Our precious Lord and our Savior, we know that we fall short in many big and great ways. And we know that we are not of this world. We know that we are different from this world. We pray, O oh Lord, that